please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You know what? There's very adult content ahead and you've been warned. Get over it. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, relax, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we're going to be taking a little bit of a turn. You see, I had a very interesting discussion with a listener, which prompted me to take a deeper look into what we were actually discussing. Anyway, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. So, thank you, lockdown, because we're all getting fucking drunk tonight. The choice of libation is always yours, so choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. I know you guys missed me last week, so I'm back and I'm feisty. Alright, how about every time I say Bible, that will be a single shot. And every time I say aliens, that's going to be a double shot. Yeah, I know you guys are just sitting there scratching your heads going, hmm. And rightly so, my darlings. And since our business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma and the strange passages in the Bible that point to alien encounters. Dum, dum, dum. Okay, I'm a little feisty today. (laughs) Of the many accounts in the Bible of strange happenings and otherworldly occurrences, the story of Ezekiel is one of the more fascinating, especially when looked at through the lens of modern technology. When biblical texts are interpreted through this perspective in general, an interesting picture emerges of the possibility that our ancient ancestors were actually visited by an advanced race rather than gods themselves. This idea, known as the ancient astronaut theory, sees Ezekiel's vision of the Merkba, or wheeled chariot, as more likely to be a spaceship or space shuttle used by an advanced species to reach out to humans. Eric von Daniken is one of the biggest proponents of this theory, providing a very compelling argument for an alternative alternative interpretation of the book of Ezekiel. So compelling is his theory, it even reversed an entire thesis of a NASA scientist's book aimed at disproving his claim. Von Daniken explains the thesis of this theory, Aliens of the Old Testament, in his book, Chariots of the Gods. Now, if you haven't read Chariots of the Gods, let me tell you now, you need to just go out and get yourself a copy, because it's one of the best freaking books you'll ever freaking read. Anyways, in the 1970s, Eric Von Daniken was invited to a secret speech at NASA where he met Joseph F. Blumrich. 
The two spoke about Von Donneken's ancient astronaut theory from his book, Chariots of the Gods, notably the idea that Ezekiel's vision was that of a space shuttle rather than a divine chariot. This conversation led Blumrick on a mission to disprove Von Donneken's seemingly absurd theory. So he did some research of his own and started writing a book. However, the evidence was overwhelming and Blumrich had an epiphany. Ezekiel was undoubtedly describing an advanced spacecraft. Blumrich even used Ezekiel's description of the craft to patent his own version of an omnidirectional wheel. Ezekiel is a key figure in Judaism and is also prominent in other Abrahamic biblical texts. Ezekiel was brought to Babylon in the first captivity of Israel and is described as a prophet. One of the interesting characteristics of the book of Ezekiel as a biblical text is that it is written using the pronoun I, clearly showing that it was written by Ezekiel himself as a first-person account, unlike many biblical texts written in the third person. This, sem- this seems to lend a little more credit and personality to the story as it is told shortly after it actually occurs. Ezekiel describes seeing a wheeled chariot descend toward him from the sky, piloted by beings with the likeness of a man, while many biblical versions of the story describe this being on the chariot as God, Von Daniken points out that the original Hebrew version never mentions God, that this word was actually added later. Ezekiel's description of the wheeled chariot landing sounds much like that of the landing of a spacecraft. The windstorm, flash of lightning, and brilliant lights are reminiscent of a spacecraft coming down for a landing and kicking up dirt in a spectacle never before seen by someone of such a primitive era. Ezekiel even describes the fire powering the chariot as appearing as glowing metal. And I quote from Ezekiel 1.4, I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the, wa- in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved." There is clearly some discrepancy between this description and much of the way Ezekiel's vision is portrayed in biblical artwork. Pictures often leave out the details involving the fire, omnidirectional wheels, and the vaulted crystal encasing over the heads of the human-like creatures. And I quote from Ezekiel 1.15, As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. 
Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. These creatures, with the likeness of man, then take Ezekiel with them in their craft, bringing him to a temple on top of the highest mountain. During his flight there, Ezekiel mentions feeling the hand of God on him, which could be interpreted as the force of gravity or G-forces, felt when lifting off. He is taken to these beings' temple, which is likely a staging area or a city where they actually reside. Throughout an array of biblical stories, the Ark of the Covenant presents itself as an artifact of interest for von Daniken's theory. But its mention in the Kebra Nagast, an account of Christianity in Ethiopia under King Solomon, is where he sees the most relevancy. In this account, he says that it was known that King Solomon had flying machines that weren't mentioned in the Bible, as well as possession of the highly coveted Ark. These texts note that people were afraid of the Ark, as it often killed those who were in close contact with it. Was this because it was radioactive or possibly electrically charged? Was the Ark of the Covenant a plutonium reactor? Hmm, maybe? Eric Von Daniken says he believes there are other Bible verses that fit into his ancient astronaut theory, including some that hint at similar temples or landing areas for spacecraft, much like the one Ezekiel was brought to. One such temple known as Shavan de Hontar can be found in Peru, sitting thousands of feet high on a mountain from a culture of which little is known. The temple is decorated with winged figures and sculpted heads that appear to be wearing helmets. Von Daniken says he believes these to be of similar origin to those described by Ezekiel in the Bible. But is this actual evidence of ancient astronauts, or is it just a very imaginative theory? It is extraordinary how many UFO accounts there are in ancient records and religions, from totally different places, periods of history, cultures, and belief systems. Whatever your views on the UFO phenomenon, it is certainly not new. The terminology of some of these archaic accounts may be unfamiliar to us, but when viewed objectively, the words used are in fact no less primitive than those used in modern times. What we might wonder, will future generations make of a culture which described extraterrestrial spacecrafts as flying saucers or cigar-shaped objects? Now, Contacts with the Gods from Space, which is by Dr. George King and Richard Lawrence, which, by the way, if you haven't read that one, super amazing book, so go out and get a copy of that while you're picking up Chariots of the Gods. Now, this book looks at so-called UFOs in the Bible and the Vedas, which is the um, Indian culture. Sorry, I can't think of what it is right at the moment. I'll think of it in a moment, though, because I'm a little bit worn because I've been home so long. Somebody come and save me. Anyways, two highly significant ancient religious works. This is just the tip of the ufological iceberg in terms of how much material there is on this subject in pre-modern literature. There are even mysterious depictions of UFOs in art, in a diverse array of paintings such as the 18th century Baptism of Christ by Ert de Gelder. 
The Bible is not completely accurate as a historical document. Those of you that would like to challenge that, please do. Just know that it's not historical. Some of it is, some of it is not, so it's not 100% accurate. Numerous scholarly researchers have shown that not only has it been through different translations, but several different scribes have worked on it, some with political motivations of varying kinds, thereby introducing considerable potentials for inconsistencies. This does not make it worthless. Far from it. It is a very valuable document, but it cannot be regarded as 100% completely accurate. Everything which follows in the next section should be taken in light of this information. So, of course, the most often quoted account of a biblical UFO occurs in the book of Ezekiel, like we've been talking about. This description, which is dated by scholars, is occurring in approximately 600 B.C., took place when Ezekiel was among the captives in Chaldea by the Chebar River. And of course, we've already looked at chapter 1, verse 4, and it states, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Now this beautiful description of a UFO continues with what is commonly described as a close encounter of the third kind. A close encounter of the first kind is a UFO sighting, This type of close encounter has been reported by hundreds of thousands of people around the world. A close encounter of the second kind includes some kind of physical evidence of a UFO sighting, such as a photograph or some physical substance from the craft itself. This type of close encounter is far much rarer than the first, but there have been photographs taken of extraterrestrial spacecrafts. Now, a close encounter of the third kind is a meeting with one or more occupants of UFOs who are visitors from another planet. After studying the abundance of evidence for UFOs, there is no doubt that UFOs do exist and have been seen through the ages in a multitude of different countries and cultures. What many people don't realize is that, according to opinion polls, believers in UFOs are in a majority, not a minority, as the media would like you to believe. The important thing about UFOs is not so much the craft itself, but the people who man and control these crafts. Ezekiel's account is therefore very revealing. He witnessed four interplanetary beings stepping out of this UFO and received information and instructions from them. He referred to them as living creatures, Later in the same chapter, there is a more detailed description of the spacecraft, which is described as a wheel in the middle of a wheel, and having eyes round about them four. This last description is taken to refer to portholes, which have often been seen in UFO sightings. A wheel within a wheel could be an inner superstructure revolving whilst an outer one remains stationary, and this type of phenomenon has also been witnessed. Now, after the exodus of the Jews from Egypt led by Moses, there are numerous descriptions of UFOs which seem to have often accompanied them. Of course, the scribes writing the Bible did not use the kind of terminology that we would use today. They would refer to clouds and stars with the properties of high-speed movement and flight control, as well as fiery chariots, and so on. So you've got to kind of close your eyes and think back. 
Now the following extract from the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verses 21 to 22, is a very typical example. And I quote, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. This description of pillars of cloud and fire is very close to the cigar-shaped description of a UFO. In fact, I kind of prefer the biblical description of a pillar to the far less evocative one of a cigar. In the 20th century, we've become more mundane in our descriptive terminology. Compare, for example, wheel in the middle of a wheel with the rather simple term flying saucer, right? Sounds better, a wheel in a wheel. Sounds sexy. I like it. Anyways, the prophet Elijah was taken to heaven in a space vehicle. His followers, Elisha, was with him at the time and witnessed this in 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11. And it reads as follows. And it came to pass as they, Elijah and Elisha, still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Obviously, the chariot and horses represent a vehicle to the biblical scribes. And the whirlwind suggests an apparent vortex of energy, which is often described in UFO sightings. The prophet Zechariah gives a very precise description of a UFO in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? I answered, I see a flying scroll. The length thereof is twenty cubits, and the breadth thereof ten cubits. A scroll, of course, would be a similar shape to the cigar-shaped type of object. However, before leaving the Judaic Christian UFO legacy, I must refer to possibly the most significant and famous biblical sighting of them all, namely the Star of Bethlehem. An excerpt from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, reads as follows, And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. It is staggering to think that for centuries it was believed that a star had led the three wise men to a stable in Bethlehem. If a star were to come near enough to this planet, assuming that gravity allowed it to do so in the first place, and then pinpointed a country, never mind a city, never mind a young child in a stable or in an inn, there would be a dire cosmic catastrophe. All the laws of science prove that stars cannot possibly do that. No, this was simply a classic example of a UFO leading three advanced men to a great interplanetary master who had been born on this planet to perform a specific mission. When you look at other religious scripts, you find a very similar pattern of UFO involvement in the spiritual revelations of our history. The Hindu texts, known as the Vedas, are a good example of this. As with the Holy Bible, there is no guarantee of the complete accuracy of these writings, which, in some cases, were passed down for thousands of years orally before being written down at all. 
There is therefore a definite margin for error and the chronology may have been incorrectly altered along the way. But texts like the Ramayana use the Sanskrit word Vimana, which means flying celestial vehicle. The following is an extract from the Ramayana, which is typical of the descriptions of Vimanas. When morning dawned, Rama, taking the Vimana Puspaka, had sent him by Vishpushand, stood ready to depart. Self-propelled was that car. It was large and finely painted. In another extract, a Vimana is described as follows. That aerial and excellent Vimana going everywhere at will is ready for thee. That Vimana resembling a bright cloud in the sky as in the city of Lanka. It's interesting to note here the reference to at will, which suggests a stupendous science involving thought control by the occupants. The Vedas, and indeed the Buddhist scripts, have a concept of life throughout the planetary realms. They fully accept the existence of life on other worlds and life on higher spheres as being part of the same belief in universal consciousness. One Vedic script describes the liberation of a Maharaja, or king, named Dhruva, from material bondage into high spiritual consciousness. This is often referred to in metaphysical writings as the state of ascension. This amazing experience which takes on a cosmic dimension is described in the Bhagavata Purana, Book 4, Chapter 12, as follows. As soon as the symptoms of his liberation were manifest, he saw a very beautiful Vimana coming down from the sky, as if the brilliant full moon were coming down, illuminating all the ten directions. He was then picked up by this Vimana, or UFO, and the following is a description of his journey. While Dhruva Maharaja was passing through space, he gradually saw all the planets of the solar system, and on the path he saw all the demigods in their vimanas showering flowers upon him like rain. Beyond that region, he achieved the transcendental situation of permanent life in the planet where Lord Vishnu lives. Not only does this description detail a truly beautiful close encounter of the third kind, which took place thousands of years ago, it also indicates that it is possible to attain such a high and elevated state of consciousness that one is liberated from the need to reside on Earth and can go to other worlds for continued existence. Oh, to escape the boundaries of Earth. Yes. The Bible is a text with many years of history where we are mentioned several supernatural powers, supposedly from the heavens or God. But what would happen if that force were not God, and if they were perhaps advanced extraterrestrial beings? There are several passages in the Bible that could lead us to think about that. Throughout the entire Bible, there are several mysterious aerial events for scholars this is undoubtedly the power of God, although scientists mentioned that they could be extraterrestrial in contact with the humans of the time. UFOs in the Bible begin when Elijah has contact with a fire car to what was perhaps a UFO and not a chariot of fire. Elijah knew that his life was in danger and that is why I asked God to help him when suddenly he was surrounded by chariots of fire as well as horses and one of them he went up to heaven. Maybe this is a story of extraterrestrial abduction, possibly. After, with Moses in the Exodus, the Pharaoh allows Moses to perform the Exodus, but 
after he repents and decides to go after the Egyptian Israelites, the Bible tells that the water was opened and let them pass, and then Moses, with the help of God, closed the water. Now, scientists believe that it could have been a UFO that was flying above the water, and that's why it opened up. As it moved, the water returned to its place. Moses with his people were wandering for 40 years where it is mentioned that a cloud in the heavens was guiding and protecting them. At night it gave them light to continue on their way. Now how could the Israelites survive 40 years in the desert at 50 degrees of temperature? I'm just going to point out that you know what my mom gets cold when it's 72 degrees and she will continue to tell you how cold she is until you give her something to warm her up. So, I'm just going to say she's just one, okay? So, you're talking about a whole group of people. I'm just saying, wandering the desert for 40 years. I'm not buying it. Maybe extraterrestrial beings offered them everything that they needed. One night, Jesus told Moses to wake up early and climb Mount Sinai. Jesus warned that all people should go away except Moses, who climbed the mountain, being there was filled with smoke and penetrated the cloud. And what if it wasn't a cloud? And if it was an alien ship in reality, maybe they wanted to show something to Moses and uploaded them. When I come down from the cloud or nave, Moses already brought with him the Ten Commandments, which mentioned Jehovah, gave to Moses within that cloud. Hmm. Interesting. Another of the events in which UFOs can be mentioned in the Bible happens when in the New Testament... Jesus is transfigured. His clothes became a dazzling white, that there was no lime on the earth that could bleach him more. There Moses and Elijah appeared, and they began to talk with Jesus. Now, how could they be there if Moses was centuries dead, and Elijah never died on earth, since he was transported by the chariot of fire to the heavens? Perhaps it was the same UFO of the transfiguration of Jesus that led Moses and Elijah to that place. Now, of course, we return to the Old Testament with the Israelite prophet Ezekiel, who started our show, who was a prophet and preached the message of hope and salvation. The Bible mentions that Ezekiel was kidnapped by a celestial entity. When I looked, there was a stormy north wind approaching and a great cloud surrounded by brightness with a continuous fire and in the middle of the fire was the most resplendent bronze. That Ezekiel saw, he believes he had an encounter with God. But is it possible that it could be a UFO what Ezekiel actually observed? And of course, this is the passage of the most studied Bible. And after so much study, it is believed that it is actually an extraterrestrial ship. I saw a wheel on the earth. As for the appearance of the wheel and its manufacture shines with the glare of a crystal light. Ezekiel also mentioned that they could go anywhere like the alien ships nowadays, good as they think they are. As for the appearance of their faces, each one had a man's face in front. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle from behind. Who were these strange beings that Ezekiel describes? Could they be extraterrestrial? As mentioned in the Bible, St. Peter, patriarch of the, the Catholic Church, mentions that he was saved by an angel with powers. The Apostle Peter mentions that he was in a cell with his hands tied when suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to him. He touches Peter 
and tells him to get up quickly. The chains fell from his hands as if by magic, and Peter left the prison. This mysterious passage never mentions how the angel manages to enter the cell, although if it had the same powers as the aliens, it would be explained, since it would be thought that it went through the solid wall as beings from another world were supposed to do. Normally, angels give their messages in dreams, something that extraterrestrials supposedly do. An angel tells Joseph that they wanted to kill Jesus and that he should leave for Egypt immediately. Abraham is another one of the biblical characters that have relation with the supposed angels, since these arrived to visit in it in the form of three people that seemed that they could read the mind, they announced to him that his wife was going to conceive something that neither he nor his wife Sarah believes. But when they, re they leave, they realize that she is expecting a son from Abraham. Most of these stories, which could be called extraterrestrial stories in the Bible or UFOs in the Bible, have a lot to do with psychic powers. Finally, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible mentions that these cities were sinners and having no re restraining had to be exterminated. It is said that they started to rain stones of fire on these cities which put an end to these places and everything there lived. Some scientists believe the truth about Sodom and Gomorrah and more when it was said that maybe the places where these cities used to be were actually found. But what was it that fell from the sky? Maybe the extraterrestrials used nuclear energy to destroy these places that simply did not work for them. And what if they could do that? Why don't they do that now? Anyways, the Vatican has already admitted the existence of these beings and mentioned that it should not be demonized. In fact, far from it. And if one day you come to check the existence of these beings, what will happen to the Bible? Surely it will change the meaning of this one, since several miracles could be sustained with the powers of the extraterrestrials. But as long as this doesn't happen, UFOs are just one more theory that has sustenance in faith, just like Christianity. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of the episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I do hope that you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have suggestions for a future show or just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line because I do reply to all emails. And just a warning, I've already had the suggestion for the Bell Witch several times. In fact, one of my dearest, closest friends that I love beyond all measure sent me a link and I'm going to be doing the Bell Witch, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do it yet or if I'm going to wait until Witchtober and do it then. But who knows? You know me. I'm kind of on a whim kind of girl. And on that note, my darlings, that's all the time that I have for you this evening. Thank you so much for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.